Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. All right. Well, amen. Thank you all for uh, joining us here this evening for worship here at the Branch Church Milledgeville. Um, I pray you be kind to your uh, pastor here and don't share any Cowboys news with me this evening. I've blocked all the notifications, so even though I know they're getting uh, blown up, oh well. But um, this evening, last week, uh, Bailey shared a message concerning the uh, swamp of sin. Uh, tonight, basically, we're going to see the pride, of, the pool of pride. Um, we're going to be in James chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. The title of this message is Pride of Life or Life in Christ. Pride of Life or Life in Christ. The major point this evening is this. There are two alternative ways of talking because there are two alternative ways of seeing life in God. So there are two alternative ways of speaking, speaking to anyone in this life because of the foundation of who we believe God is, seeing the life in God that he's given us. In this day and age in which we live, we see turmoil, don't we? I mean, it's political season after way, uh, so there has to be turmoil, right? I and mean, we see it with this lovely virus that we've been fighting for, my goodness, for quite a while now, right? And I'm sure we'll continue fighting it at least until November 3rd. And we'll see after that. But uh, a turmoil season that we've had in 2020. Uh, maybe there will not be another year like this. Maybe there will be, won't be. Maybe Christ will turn before this wonderful election occurs. Nobody knows, right, but our Lord. So a turmoil, a life of turmoil that we see. As in every day and age, since creation, much is expected, more so even commanded of the church. There's so much expected of the church in this day. So much. How are we to respond? How are we to live as we respond? Is our view of life to be as narrow of these circumstances in our life and our world? I say yes. Well, Pastor, if we focus on these circumstances, aren't we taking our eyes off our Lord? I say no. See, we live. We're here. We're alive, aren't we? We're in this flesh. We have eyes to see, ears to hear, air to breathe out of our mouth, take in to our mouth. We are living, breathing, functioning human beings. Thereby, we have lives to live. If we don't see the life that is in front of us, how will we rightly reveal Jesus to those who are in front of us? As we focus in on these issues in our world and our life, how are we to respond? How are we to live? We can do it two ways. First, boasting in our life, boasting in who we are, what we know about this world, about our future about our plan for our life, about our status in this life, or 
walking, talking, living in humility, living a humble life, not boasting about today or tomorrow, nor about what we will do today or tomorrow, nor about our status in life, our wage, our house, our possessions, etc., etc. You see, as a follower of Jesus, we could, in our flesh, if we don't abide in him, seek him as we should, seek to please our flesh and pridefully act in boastfulness, just as so many we see in our world today are doing. Or we can, in the presence, in the power, like we close every Lord's Day morning worship, what do we say? The power of who? The Holy Spirit who lives within us. Or through his power, living within us, we can walk, talk, live humbly before our God and all who see and hear us. Read with me these verses as they come on the screen. First, Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives greater grace, therefore it says... God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James there quoting Psalm 138.6. And then James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Join me in prayer as we dive into James 4.13-17 this evening. Father, thank you so, so much. Once again, Lord, the gracious gracious gift you give us to gather as your church, to open your word, to read from your word. Lord, the ability given to you by us to understand your word. I pray, Father, speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray, pierce our minds, our hearts with your word of truth. Lord, that we love you all the more to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first point this evening, your life is a mist, or you could say vapor, but your life is a mist. We see this in verses 13 through 16. James here in chapter 4 is directing sinners to repent and the church to avoid falling into the pitfalls of a life filled with seeking the pride of self, living in prideful boastfulness. Look at James 4. Verse 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Well, considering that, listen to Romans 7, Romans 7, 23 through 25. Actually, I'm going to start with verse 22. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. This flesh, oh, this flesh, the desires of our flesh, the pitfalls the pitfalls of seeking to fulfill the pride that we have in our human flesh, the pride of life. The first thing we must understand, this life in which we live in this world, in this time, in this flesh, it is a mist. It is a vapor. If you've ever stood over the bedside of one who is passing from this life to the next, you know that it is a mist. It is a vapor. That last breath that is not inhaled, but is what? Exhaled. Sent out. Sent away. Life eternal. In heaven or in hell. Never separation from God, mind you. In hell is the wrath of God. Not separated from God, but separated from the love of God. Life anew in God. Or life eternal rejoicing. Rejoicing in the new birthed life we have in Christ. A vapor. A mist. I know many of you in here are far younger than I. But let me tell you, I don't know where the years have gone, and I'm not even that old yet. Thank you or not. But, listen, your life is a vapor. In James 4, 13 through 16, we see one of the absolutely most powerful statements about two things the pride of man, and the providence of a holy God. James builds what he writes in chapter 4 off of what we read in James 3, particularly as it applies to verses 4, 13 through 17. Look, at, look up back to ver- chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James sets the the stage for us. A life driven by self will reveal selfish ambition. It will not reveal a life in Christ. An untamed tongue that we see in chapter 4, verse 13, and a life full of fights and quarreling leads to evil ends. Peace. Peace. Shouldn't we, the church, be the most peaceable people in this world? Shouldn't we? After all, we know peace, the only peace that can be known in the person of Jesus Christ. Thereby, should we, the church, not be the most peaceable people in this world? Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said this, 
How great is the inward tranquility of God's church. Even when opposed and persecuted, she has a peace which the world gives not, and which therefore it cannot take away. The peace of God which passeth all understanding keeps the hearts and minds of God's people. You see, a life abiding in Jesus Christ is a life indwelled with peace. This does not mean there will be no struggle, no pain, no stress, no depression, no issues in this life, in this world, because there absolutely will be. But for the life of, in the life of Christ, for the follower of Jesus Christ, why do those things occur? So that it will draw us deeper and deeper and deeper into the peace that we have in Christ himself. It does mean Christ is our peace. And it is that peace which does and will keep our minds and our hearts upon him. As we read in verses 13 through 17 here in James 4, we'll see two alternative ways to speak because, again, there are two alternative ways of seeing God and this life. James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow... We will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But, as it is, you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. In James 4, 8 through 10, we see a picture of prideful arrogance. Prideful arrogance. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves. James directs us to consider what we say in verse 11. See, the same untamed tongue described in verse 11 leads the prideful one to be a self-righteous judge in verse 12. Notice these words in verse 12. Who are you? There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? Who are you? Each time we seek to walk in prideful arrogance, what we are really seeking to do is to take the place of God in our life. What we're really seeking to do is to make ourselves God. Who are we to control our life? Who are we to proclaim that we know what our life will be in the future? What our life will be when we graduate from school? What our life will be tomorrow when we go off to our jobs? Who are we to be in control? 
to be in control, to do, say, go, what our self-righteous desire, desires that we say and do is right and true, is flying in the face of who God is. And as a follower of Christ, who he demands that our life be. The first two words in verse 13, come now, are mentioned in only one other place in James. Let's look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Come now, you rich, weep, and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have been rotted, and your garments have been moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Rich, who is rich? Who is rich in this room? We all are. We all are. In every way, truly. Those of you who have been outside of this country, who have been especially to countries where they have not, you know this to be the case. If you have shoes, you're rich. If you have a bed to sleep on, you are rich. If you have a roof over your head that is anything more than a garbage bag or something you can find from a dumpster to cover your head with in the night or hay patched together with mud, if you have a roof over your head, you are rich. Do you exert your power of your wealth in this world over your own life and over the lives of others? In verse 13, you who say, this is in contrast to what we will read or what we read rather in verse 15, and we'll look at again shortly, you ought to say, what is it that those who are pridefully arrogant say? What is it that they say? Well, in verse 13, in James chapter 4, they say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. This same prideful arrogance leads one to believe, truly believe, that they can plan their current day without fail, everything that will occur, plan their tomorrow, what will occur and what will be, dictate where they will go, how long they will spend in that place, dictate where they will work, and not how much, but how much more they will get paid than they currently are. What arrogant presumption. What arrogant presumption. See, there's a difference between planning and guaranteeing that your plans will succeed. A difference between planning and guaranteeing that your plans will succeed. See, I have a work calendar. I can look on my work, cal work calendar as I'll do this evening. As much as I don't want to, I'll pull it up and see what's on the calendar for tomorrow. Well, I, I can see not just tomorrow, but I can see Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I can see the week after. Guess what? I can even look ahead to January 2021. See, there's a difference between planning and guaranteeing that your plans will succeed. 
the arrogant presumption of a prideful mind and heart. I can plan, but I cannot guarantee those things will occur. Those who are in their prideful arrogance guarantee, guarantee what their life will be, but they do not understand what this life is. They do not understand who God is. Verse 15, what does it say? If I will, if I presume to know, if I in my prideful arrogance boast, this will happen? No. If the Lord wills. We'll dive into that a little later, much deeper. But listen, whether a child of God or not, you simply do not control your life. It's a simple statement to say, a simple statement to hear, but not such a simple fact to live in this life. We all want control. Oh, we all want control. Every second of our life, every moment of our life, we want control. We want to know, after all, don't we? We want to know what will happen tomorrow. We want to know how that young child is going to grow up to be what he or she will become. Will they run after Christ? Will they run away from Christ? Will they be successful by the world's standards? Will they be successful by the standards set forth by God in His Word? We want to know. So often, though, it's far deeper than just wanting to know. All too often, what do we do? We demand to know. We demand to know. God, I got to go, I got to know now. God, I want to know now. Tell me now. Martin Luther once said, we are donkeys, being ridden by Satan or being riddled by God. Close quote. Donkeys, being riddled by Satan or ridden by God. You're not in control of your life. Listen, Jennifer and I, we, we prayed, we talked, we discussed about moving here to this city for at least the better part of a year, maybe even longer. We wanted to know, God, what should we do? What should we do? You're, you're using us in this city in which we've lived for 20 years but do you desire to use us in this new city, in this other place, in the city of Milledgeville? God, if that's your desire, then tell us. Tell us. We wanted so desperately, at least I did, to see his hand appear and just write on the wall. Exactly what we were supposed to do when we were supposed to do it, 
where we were supposed to live, every detail in between. But is that faith? Is that trust? Is that abiding in Christ? It's okay to ask. It is. It's okay to even doubt. But it's not okay to seek the answers we seek in and of ourselves. It's not okay to presume upon our life that is not even ours to presume that we know what we are to do, where we are to be. College students, you have a decision to make. When you graduate, will you leave Milledgeville and go to another place, or won't you? Let me just ask you this. Before you decide to leave, will you invest in prayer with your God? Is, is it status that you seek in a life of profession that a degree earns you? Is it money that you seek from that degree? Or does, in fact, God desire to send you away from here to use you in that other place, whatever that place may be? Are you running to comfort aside from the comfort you have in Christ? non-students in the room. What will your tomorrow be? What will your week be? What will your month be? What will your year be? Does God desire you to stay in Milledgeville? Does God desire to send you away to another city, to another country? For his glory. Look, we as your elders at the branch of Milledgeville would not want nothing more than to see all of you stay here and labor with us in ministry. But above all else, what we desire above all for each of you, student and non-student alike, is this, that you pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. Do not pursue this world. Abide in Christ. This world has nothing for you. Nothing. Hear me, I've lived it. I know it. I know what a job that pays you three figures can give you. It's nothing. It's nothing. I know what a big city can give you. It's nothing. But I know what a life abiding in Christ can give you. It's everything. What is life? What is life? In verse 14, we see it. Life is one short, two fragile, three not in your control. On a, on a cold winter morning that will eventually get here at some point in Milledgeville. On a cold winter morning when you walk out and you breathe that air from your mouth, what do you see? You see that breath. How quickly does it go away? Like that. It's gone. 
That breath leaves your mouth, and you see it, but for an instant, and it's gone. That is your life. That is your life. Verse 15 is one of the most grandiose statements about God's complete sovereignty. We see in verse 15 how we should speak, think, and plan to do. Unlike in verse 13, we see we read the words, you who say, we see here in verse 15, you ought to say. You ought to say. James was a southerner. You ought to say. What does he say we ought to say? If the Lord wills, we will live. Meaning, what? We won't die. We won't die in that car wreck. We won't die of that cancer. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, you will have life. And you will continue to live it. Listen, when you walk out this door tonight, you are not guaranteed to make it across the street safely. If the Lord wills, and also do this or that. Notice James here, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead James to write very specific things that the Lord will will you to do. It says, if the Lord wills, you will live, you will have life continued, and you will do this or do that. Why don't you know? Because you don't know. God does. A humble life proclaims the following. I'm not God. I'm dependent upon God. And two, I'm not good. I'm a sinner. Period. Every opportunity I get, I will be just like Adam and Eve, and I will run from God in my flesh. But God, in his grace, will continue to draw me near him. Another quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said this, We cannot see any reason in ourselves why the Lord should take pleasure in us. I, I love that statement. We cannot see any reason in ourselves why the Lord should take pleasure in us, but we love to dwell upon this transcendent truth, this glorious mystery, that as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so does the Lord rejoice over us. Close quote. Follower of Christ, you are his, claimed by the grace of God an ultimate sacrifice paid for your life with his life. Our second and final point tonight, your life is as the Lord wills. Verse 16 is a confirmation, a result, in fact, of verses 13 and 14. Everything that James is pushing us to here, listen, he's pushing us to his aim is not just humility, but a happy humility. Not just living a humble life, but living a happy, humble life. If we believe that our life is and will be as the Lord wills it to be, then we will certainly agree with Psalm 34, 8. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Whether good or bad, in our life, we must proclaim the truth of Psalm 34, 8. 
taste and see that the Lord is good. What does that require us to do? When you sit down to eat a meal this evening, are you going to look at the food? No. You're going to eat the food. You're going to taste the food. You're going to see, I hope, that the food is good. How do we taste God? We read His Word. We digest His Word. We taste His Word and see and know that it is good because He is good. The sovereign will of God lands in two categories. First, his will of decree. Second, his will of commands. His will of decree and his will of commands. First, let's look at his will of decree. I'm not going to read each of these verses. They're going to be on the slide. I would encourage you to go back and read them later this evening or sometime this week. First, Matthew 26, 39. Jesus submitting to the absolute will, the absolute decree of God. Acts 4, 27. 28, Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, peoples of Israel, each decreed by God to do what? To kill Jesus. Ephesians 1.11, all things, not some things, not the things we like, all things are held and occur in the counsel, the wisdom of his will. Daniel 4.35, nobody can thwart the hand of God. Job 42.1 and 2. Job 42.1 and 2, after it was all over for Job, after all the suffering had passed, when God absolutely wills that something happen, it will absolutely happen. His will of commands. Matthew 7.21 who will enter the kingdom of heaven? The one who does the will of my Father. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Thou shalt abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks in every and all circumstances. Do we do that all the time? No, we don't. See, here's the difference. God's will of decree is this. God's decision that something will certainly take place. God's decision that something will certainly take place. God's will of command, God's expression to his creatures of what they ought to do. But what of abuse? What of murder? What of the horrid acts that we see against so many in our world today? What of the tsunami that comes and wipes out an entire people? What of those things? God's will? Well, there are two answers. What of the one who comes and kills his entire family? God's will? We can answer this in two ways. First, no. No. God commands love and hates abuse of the weak. God commands thou shalt not murder. But we must also answer, 
yes. God could have stopped it, whatever it is, a thousand, a million, a billion different ways, but God ruled not to stop it. He ruled not to stop it. See, in Jennifer's cancer, he ruled that she would have cancer, but he ruled that she wouldn't die from it. Yet, in all of our miscarriages, he ruled that that baby would have life for a moment, but would be taken. God's will. The sovereignty of God creates hope in you. The sovereignty of God, knowing, knowing that God, God, the God of all, is in control of your life. The God of all desires good for your life. Oh, if it seems so desperately hard, so desperately impossible to move beyond. God desires it for your good, for he desires you to see him, to know him, to love him with all of who you are. Verse 17, James raises the bar even higher for the follower of Jesus. So how do we know the right thing to do? How is it that we know the will of God? The answer, God's word, the Bible. What is the will, what is your will for my life, God? What do you want me to do, God? Read his word. Read his word. There is no question you can ask about the will of God for your life that he has not already given you the answer for in his word. Period. He gives you the answers for your life in his word and what we are to do and how we are to live. In his word of truth, we find the roadmap to live this life in Christ we have been given. The other day, Jennifer and I were coming into town. I think we were headed to MC. Uh, out at Sunset Fields, and Jennifer had gotten another lovely piece from a, for, for the home, a window pane fitting, another piece for the home, another something for the house. So we were going to get it and pulled up Apple Maps, and it said, go this way, go that way. Before we know it, we're heading out toward the outway of Milledgeville. Thankfully, thankfully, we've been here long enough to know it's Apple Maps has taken us the wrong way. Don't use Apple Maps. According to God, we know what is the right thing to do. According to God, we know what is the right way to go. According to God, we know what is the right way to live. And in doing so, bring him glory and make Jesus known to all who see us act and hear us speak. See, the standard is not based upon our prideful arrogance thinking that we know what is best. 
the standard is based upon God's word, what he has commanded us to do. Live each day, live each moment of each day trusting in what the Lord wills for your life. For the authority over your life is Jesus Christ. If our life is a vapor, if it is a mist, what are we doing with it? What are you doing with your life? What do you want to come of your life? When you're on your deathbed and that last breath will be exhaled by your lungs into eternity. What will your life have been? What impact will your life in Christ have made on this earth? Think now, because there is no guarantee of tomorrow. A day not living in surrender to his authority is a day we seek to profit self. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for life.